You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. And tonight, tonight finds us in the book of Hebrews, uh, which we know the uh, general theme of all things are greater and better in Christ. The go with what the author said was this, Word of exhortation, which is the uh, way that sermons were often described in New Testament times. And I think tonight we'll see some of the section, well, uh, a section that certainly looks like a sermon. And the uh, the writer approaches it like a sermon. He's going to quote a text, and then he's going to take them back through the text uh, almost four times, looking at various words and phrases in the text uh, as he goes through. Uh, This is our second exhortation section, and now here is our modified outline, uh, which we are using, and what we see is that there is a line of main arguments, and again, we have the larger versions of these available at the building. You can pick them up, or I can send you a digital copy if you'd like, but the main arguments, Christ is greater than the angels. You know, he is the very image of God. Uh, We are made in God's image, but we know by the fall and by the limitations of humanity, uh, we're not a perfect image of God. We've got some resemblance, some mighty fine resemblance to God in some things, although maybe we mighty fine resemblance to somebody else in the fall. But Jesus is the express image of his person. He is God with us. And so he's above all the angels. And then it talks about how uh, he relates to humanity, that he is. Uh, you know, the Son of Man. He's the Son of God. He's also Son of Man. And how he relates to us and in that nature with us is sympathetic to us and helpful to us. And then he's compared to Moses, and he's greater uh, than Moses. He was faithful to God as Moses was faithful in his house. And it's that theme of faithfulness that's going to be key to uh, tonight's section of Scripture as we go to the second exhortation. We've got the faithfulness of God. We've got the faithfulness of Moses. And that's going to be contrasted with directly the unfaithfulness of the wilderness generation. Of course, they're the example generation of unfaithfulness to God. And so uh, the Hebrew writer will use that unfaithful generation. And he will tell the people he's writing to, those folks are an ever-present warning to you. That's not just history. That is an ever-present warning to you. And so this will be kind of a long exhortation. So we're on the exhortation half of our outline now. We had the short little exhortation. Don't neglect the great salvation that's been given you in Christ. And now the first long exhortation, the danger of not believing God's word. So this is the problem. And this is where, and we'll see, a, I'll go ahead and give away the ending, We're going to tie, the Hebrew writer will, disobedience to unbelief. Unbelief and disobedience. These are uh, the devil's uh, terrible twins. Uh, They go together. They're not quite identical twins, but they're pretty close. And so unbelief and disobedience. So uh, this will be our first of hopefully two uh, looks at um, this uh, uh, exhortation to, uh, you know, not 
disobey God's word, to not uh, disbelieve God's word. We're hoping to look at uh, Hebrews 3 tonight, verses 7 to 19. And next week, we'll take the second half of this lengthy exhortation, Lord willing, the exhortation that's in chapter 4. It's all the same exhortation, even though it bridges chapter 3 and into chapter 4. So let's read it. It's a long exhortation. Let's read the entirety of the exhortation and then go back and look. So verse 7, therefore, again, therefore, based on the faithfulness of Christ, the faithfulness of Moses, but primarily the faithfulness of Christ to us. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts and they do not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they will not enter my rest. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For if we become partakers of Christ, or for we have become, partakers of Christ, if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm unto the end. While it said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as when they provoked me. For who provoked me, or who provoked him, when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Well, the chapter ends, but the exhortation's only half done. Therefore, going into chapter 4, let us fear, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had the good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we, who have believed, enter that rest, just as he has said, I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had the good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day, today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as was said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who's entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living 
and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing so far as the division of soul and spirit, both of joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature that is hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. All right, well, that was a long exhortation, but I think worth worth the reading. We see how the Hebrew writer keeps going back to the words of Psalm 95. It's Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11, that's quoted here in uh, in Hebrews chapter chapter 3. It's one of the longer uh, direct sets of sec- sections of direct quotations from the Old Testament into the New. It's not the longest. Uh, we'll get to that when we get to chapter 8 and the uh, long quote of Jeremiah 31. But it is a section that's used and applied to the exact current day from the Psalms to Christians. And so we've got three different time periods where this is the operative exhortation. And so that's why we've entitled this first section, the quotation, the living exhortation. There's an exhortation given to the people in the wilderness generation that they might not fight with God, they might follow God faithfully and receive his blessing. They didn't do it, didn't go well for them. And then a number of hundreds of years later, we'll say 400, 400 years later, David comes and he writes again so long a time after. And so in the promised land, David gave and gives the same exhortation in Psalm 95 saying, listen today to the voice of God. Don't do like they did. And then 900 years further on, the Hebrew writer quotes the 400 year after the fact uh, message of David. And what does he say to his readers? Y'all need this same thing. You people that I'm writing to in late first century Palestine, or maybe mid first century Palestine, Christians in the church, you people in the church, you need the same exhortation that David gave. And so now tonight, what's the preacher reading and exhorting? The same exhortation. And so this is a living exhortation. It's not just fulfilled prophecy. It's not just, uh, you know, uh, old law that's passed, although certainly the Psalms are part of the old law and the old system. But this is an ever-living exhortation that's as relevant today as the day that the Hebrew writer gave it, And it was just the same exhortation and the same relevance in the day that David gave it and for the 400 years between the time it happened and David wrote it down, it would have still been uh, the same exhortation if someone uh, had uh, come along and remembered those things. So verse 7, as we turn now to our text, therefore the Holy Spirit says, well, there's our attestation by inspiration of the inspiration uh, of the Psalms uh, by David. Of course, David, the, the writer of the vast, vast majority of the Psalms. Uh, there's a, again, it was a long quotation, uh, quoting about four verses worth, uh, Psalm 95, 7 through 11. It's interesting, and I think it's worth the read. I, well, when it comes to Scripture, it's always worth the read, right? Let's read Psalm 95. Uh, we got uh, the operative part, the relevant part, directly relevant part, the exhortation part that the Hebrew writer uses. But I think it's interesting to see how Psalm 95 is constructed 
And what is in that uh, that text? Uh, it's in three parts. Uh, we have the uh, we have great praise to God. It's almost a a jaunty song. It's, it's it's such a cheerful start. It's such a lovely and wonderful start uh, that we have an exhortation to to come follow God, and then we see the the great glory of God given us, and then all of a sudden at the end it turns kind of dark. It turns into this exhortation, which the Hebrew writer gives, and so it's. Uh, I remember when I was in school, uh, we had this uh, uh, a piece of music that was uh, called the Surprise Symphony. And I forget which famous classic music writer wrote it, but it was called the Surprise Symphony. The first half of the, of the symphony is just kind of uh, low and slow and calm. And, you know, there's some music, musicality to it and some, some virtuosity. And in its writing, I certainly couldn't have written anything like that. But right in the middle of it, it really comes almost to a pause, and then the percussion slams the cymbals, the drums bang, and then we start a new part of the symphony where it's um, it's uh, it's faster, it's uh, brighter, it's it's a lot of brass, um, and so the story told is what they used to do was at these uh, afternoon concerts because before days of TV or whatever, and all the people would go to these symphonies. And this composer got upset that people were sleeping through them. I have no experience with that. I don't know anything about that, you know, foreign to my experience. Anyway, he wrote this surprise symphony. So he intentionally wrote the first half of it that anybody who wanted to do that or was prone to that, he intentionally lulled them to sleep. And then he crashed the cymbals and banged the drums and and turned the volume up to 11 uh, for the conclusion of the symphony. Now, having played that is like, that was turning it up to 11. That was the excitement part. Uh, okay. Uh, may, maybe times are different. But in any case, Psalm 95 is sort of like that. Kind of the surprise symphony of the Psalms. Notice how this starts. We'll just read it. Psalm 95. It's not a long Psalm, 11 verses. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Hey, I like that. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. <laughs> I like this. This is going good. Let's all get together and sing. I like singing. For the Lord is a great God. Oh, yes, he is. He's the great king above all gods. Yes, he is. In all his hands are the depths of the earth, and the peaks of the mountain are his too. Oh, yes. Amen, brothers. Preach on. The sea is his, and all uh, for it is he who made it. And his hands form the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Oh, hallelujah. Hey, this is great. I like this. More of it. But then verse 7. For he is our God, and we're the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. I like that too. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Mirabah, as in the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, then they tried me, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said they are a people who err in their heart and they do not know my ways. I swore in my anger, truly they did not, they will not enter my rest. Okay, that's not the ending I expected after the first six verses, is it? That's not what I thought was coming. It's it's light, it's it's jaunty, it's, 
it's all is well with the world. We're, we are praising God. It is all God's world. We're all going to bow down and we're all going to say Jehovah is our maker and it is lovely. And all of a sudden, you better listen and listen today, bud. Or we're going to have a Mirabah and Manasseh situation or Massa situation. We're going to have days of destruction and loathing. We're going to have rejection and anger. And I'm going to swear against you, not for you. That is Psalm 95. And it's that latter half, the dark half, that the Hebrew writer calls in and then makes so many comments uh, from uh, and uh, about. And so uh, it is the surprise psalm in so many ways. So don't harden your hearts as when you provoked me there in the day of trial. Now, in my New Testament, it says in the day of trial in the wilderness. In my Old Testament, it says in the days of uh, at Mirabah and Massa. And Mirabah and Massa are the, the actual names in Hebrew. Those are place names. Those are place names. But because of the uh, terrible thing that happened there, the provoking of God that happened there, uh, and, uh, and, and God cursing them, that became in Hebrew, these what were place names, that became the names uh, for uh, provocation and rejection. Uh, provocation and tribulation. Uh, so these these are names, but they're names that have a significance far beyond their geographic location. Uh, I would have some trouble, I think, putting on a map exactly where Valley Forge is. And I'm pretty sure it's somewhere in central New Jersey, about halfway between Philadelphia and New York. I'm pretty, I think it's, I think that's where Valley Forge is. But I don't think we've ever mentioned hardly Valley Forge. Uh, thinking about just exactly uh, the geography there. Valley Forge means something else. Uh, The same thing with like a place like Wounded Knee. When Wounded Knee is brought up, it's not the geography of Wounded Knee and that isolated um, uh, hillside in South Dakota uh, that is usually being referenced. uh, It means an entirely different thing, uh, especially to the people who who, uh, suffered uh, the massacre there, uh, or if we mention Auschwitz, uh, Auschwitz is mentioned a lot, but not usually as far as geographic coordinates on a map. And so these are are, are significant names in um, uh, in in history uh, and in place and in meaning, but they um, uh, are not uh, you know just the the location. And so that's what. Uh, Mirabah and Massa uh, become to the Jews. Uh, they become the place of provocation. Uh, they become uh, testing. And so this is what you people did. This is what this is what we have turned to. And so it goes on to say that uh, I was angry with them. And notice this: they always go astray in their heart, and they don't know my ways. These are people and. Uh, this was uh, uh, right after God had led them uh, out of um, Egypt. Uh, they, this is long before uh, they got their final rejection papers and, and got the 40-year march, but it set the tone for the entire course of the thing. But God says about them, they don't know me and they don't seem to care to know. I gave them instruction. 
and they didn't want it. Uh, the prophets would say something similar. Uh, Hosea would say that my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, that they had rejected knowledge. Isaiah would say, and then Jesus would quote it in Matthew 15, and Luke would uh, write that Paul quoted it in Acts 28, about the Jews who uh, heard the gospel, but they had uh, uh, they kept hearing but didn't understand. They saw but they didn't perceive. Their heart was dull. Their ears, with their ears, they couldn't hear, and they had closed their eyes. And so that's a stubborn and purposeful disobedience. And that's what the people in the wilderness generation are being accused of. And that's the people that the Hebrew writer brings up in his sermon saying to these Christians, y'all don't do that. Don't do that. And so came the rejection. I swore in my wrath, they'll not enter my rest. And so the Mirabah and Maspah was early on, Exodus 7. The, um, well, I'm going to have to check the exact um, one of that. Um, but it was early on. The um, rejection is Numbers 14. And just the whole way, the whole way, it goes poorly. So they didn't get to enter my rest. Now, in chapter 4 next week, we'll see how that is compared to the Sabbath rest given in the promised land. They were given rest on every side, but there was more rest yet to come. So they didn't get to the promised land. And then we'll find out even when they got to the promised land, they didn't have the fullness of the rest of God. And so what they need to do is, verse 12 and 13 now, uh, take these lessons to heart. So that was the problem with the wilderness generation. They didn't take it to heart. They didn't believe it. These Hebrew Christians, they need to take this to heart. As it says, take care, brethren, verse 12, that there should not be in any one of you an evil and unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. Falling away from the living God, that is a terrible, terrible and scary thought. But why is it going to happen? To any and all that it happens to, it's going to be an evil and unbelieving heart. Now, we're going to see that evil and unbelieving broke out as evil and disobedient before this chapter is over. But unbelief is always there. Unbelief is what lets the evil run. Unbelief is what lets the disobedience not be checked and not be repented of. How is it, brethren, that we are saved? What is the summary of salvation? Well, we've been studying the Gospel of John. What's the key word of John? It's belief. Belief is the way of life. Belief is the way of Christ. Faithfulness, right? Christ was faithful. That's how this chapter started. Christ was faithful. Moses was faithful. These people, like that wilderness generation, are not being faithful of not believing. So the exhortation is the danger of not believing in God's word. If you don't believe in God's word, you will fall. You will. You got to Christ. You were in Christ. You received in Christ. You're adopted in Christ, forgiven in Christ. All that is centered on your belief. What if you no longer have that belief? What if there's no expression of that belief? What is a denial of that belief? What if there's no fruit of that belief? And so, verse 12, 
Take care, brethren, that there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Right? What would cause you to neglect the great salvation we already had in chapter 2? We're going to have another exhortation on falling away in chapter 6. We're going to have the dangers of apostasy. Why? People leave God not believing. Sometimes there's questions and comments about once saved, always saved, or about the uh, perseverance of the saints or the security of believers and various things. One thing I'm sure of, that the believer is secure. One thing I'm also very sure of, the unbeliever's not. Right? Take care that there don't be in you an evil, unbelieving heart in any of you. So to how many of these could have had that? How many could develop that? Well, it seems like any one of them. And so to help all each, to help each other out, let's have a, a collective exhortation, collective encouragement, verse 13. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today. So there's, there's our preacher here writing. He's going back and picking up that key word from Psalm 95, today, right? We picked that word up from today. Today, today, hear his voice. Today, encourage one another, right? So uh, be the voice of God to one another. Say God's words to one another. Give God's encouragements to one another. Why? Lest you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Well, sin goes with unbelief. Right? Sin is evil. It's it deceives you, and if you it'll get a hold of you, but if you don't believe, it'll harden you and keep you there. What happens when the believer is deceived by sin? He'll repent of it. He'll recognize it. He'll uh, take it humbly before God. He'll ask God to help him. He'll ask God to forgive him. Ask God to help him mature and grow. He'll study God's word. He'll find his errors and his faults. Right, who can discern his faults? Well, the man with God's help by his word. But the one who's no longer seeking, the one who's no longer acting in faith, he stays deceived. He gets deceived, he stays deceived, and then he gets hardened in that spot. He doesn't soften and repent. He eventually becomes impervious to the calls to repent. He decides he's made his home there and sin, and he kind of likes it. And the devil says, yeah, you're just fine where you are. Don't worry about it. You know, worry about it. <laughs> worry about it before you get there, is what the Hebrew writer says. So encourage one another day after day. While it's still called today, that none of us fall to this and get hardened in that deception. For, now we're going to talk about being a partaker or being an unbeliever. We're going to be a partaker in Christ. Or we're going to fall to unbelief. Verse 14. For we become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm to the end. So we know that's a conditional. If is a conditional. If we hold fast. Well, we held to Christ. We confessed Christ. We professed him. We, by faith, we did that. Now keep doing that. You got here by faith. Stay here by faith. Hold fast the beginning of that assurance firm to the end, we're going to have in chapter nine, uh, chapter ten the famous uh, statement of you know don't shrink back to destruction. So stay where you are in Christ, but it's if we hold fast to the beginning of our assurance, firm to the end. We got started good, let's stay good. Again, 
quoting Psalm 95, verse 15. While it is said today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts when they provoked me. All right, so we've already dealt with the today part, and now we're going to deal with the hardness and provocation part. We've already read from chapter 4. We're going to deal with the rest part 2. See, we keep coming back to Psalm 95 in this part over and over and over. That ever-living exhortation. Well, that living exhortation says, don't harden your heart. What hardens your heart? Unbelief and sin. Unbelief and sin harden your heart against Christ. And so stay faithful and following. And so a faithful following, that keeps our heart in the right way. Now, who is it then? we got a series of rhetorical questions to end this part of the exhortation. Who provoked him when they'd heard? Indeed, not did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses. Boy. Okay. This rhetorical question is a hard hitter. Because someone might say, no, no, I'm listening to the gospel. I've heard the gospel. I've confessed my belief in the gospel. Well, what might those who followed Moses say? No, we followed Moses. We came with him through the Red Sea. We followed him out here in the wilderness. We're good, right? But they'd heard what Moses said, but they still provoked God. They'd heard God directly, in the case of this generation, both directly and through his spokesman Moses, they had heard God. So just having heard the word of God, being able to pass your, you know, your, your basic gospel facts test, who was Jesus? What did he do, right? Maybe you could recite some of the questions from the catechism and give the correct answers. Uh, you could tell uh, and summarize for us the gospel. But it's not just knowing it, not just hearing it. It's actually really believing it. Who provoked him when they heard wasn't that they didn't hear and provoked, they knew and provoked. Indeed, did not all those who come out of Egypt led by Moses. And so this, this falling away in the time of Moses, this was a universal. See, I don't think the Hebrew writer saying, look, all of y'all are falling away from Christ. I don't think that's the point of this extensiveness here. But just to let you know, this happened to every last one of them. Okay, except for Joshua and Caleb and Eleazar, the faithful priest too. But this happened in mass. This happened generally. Uh, now, I think the King James tries to soften that, and I think they do it wrongly. It's a, <coughs> it's a rhetorical point. It's, it's not saying that every last single individual, because we can think of two, maybe three individuals. But uh, again, boy, that's awful close to, to absolute. But it is put in absolute here. The King James says, for some when they heard did provoke, Howbeit not all who came out of Egypt. I actually think the second half of that is exactly wrong. Uh, the English Standard says, For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all who left Egypt led by Moses? Or the Christian Standard says it uh, even more uh, uh, succinctly. For who heard and rebelled? Wasn't it all who came out of Egypt under Moses? So that happened to all of them. And I'm, Real sure the Hebrew writer's point is that can happen to any of us. Any of us who stop our belief by getting into sin and getting hardened in sin, any of us who stop following 
the, the Lord who we began to follow. Any of us can fall to this. And so we think about what Paul uh, told the Corinthians, therefore let him who stands take heed lest he fall. And so we go on with the rhetorical question of the Hebrew writer, with whom was he angry for 40 years? It's a serious consequence to be on the Lord's bad side. Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? You know, Paul tells us the wages of sin is death. For the wilderness generation, the wages of sin was a sandy grave. Not in the promised land. Not in the place that God provided. Not in the place that God prepared. The place of their death and their burial was a sandy grave in the wilderness because he was angry with them. And why was he angry with them? They wouldn't trust him. They kept provoking him. They kept not following. And so to whom did he swear? They would not enter his rest. But to those who were disobedient. They were disobedient. They fell because of why? Well, unbelief. Well, it says disobedience there, but the next verse says unbelief. So we see they were not able to enter because of unbelief. So again, unbelief and disobedience. The, the devil's two ugly twins, right? They go together. So we can be partakers of Christ if we hold firm to the end, or we can repeat this terrible course of life. And this is what we all need to do. Today, when David wrote it, they needed to hear God's voice. Today, when the Hebrew writer wrote it, they needed to hear God's voice. And today, when we read it, today, March the 10th, the year of our Lord, 2022, we need to hear it. And tomorrow, Friday, March the 11th, we need to hear it today. So it's an ever-living exhortation of listen to God today. Believe God today. It'll go well. But what a disaster if you don't. Isn't that what the Psalms and the Hebrew writers say? Listen to God. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Malvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at malvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.